and you are listening to the Awkward In Between podcast, a podcast where we explore what it's like to be in those awkward in-between spaces, between positions of certainty, various positions of, I guess, extremism and doubt. Faith and unfaith. Yeah. Anywhere where you kind of feel like you've got questions but almost don't feel comfortable to ask the questions you have. It can be quite an awkward place to be. Let alone have any answers. Absolutely. Now, before we get into today's episode, up to episode four, and we introduce our guest, how have you found the first three? We've done three episodes now. Yes, yeah, yeah, we're in episode four, and uh, I, I don't know, I think it's interesting how the conversation is taking shape. Uh, so anyone who's not been listening already, uh, I'm Dave, and uh, my friend here is Damien, my co-host, uh, and uh, we've been discussing, as we've said, those awkward in-between spaces, which is how we define uh, spaces between, it's, it's when the question, the things you used to be certain about, mm. you're not certain about anymore, right? And you start to have questions, but sometimes maybe the spaces you have been in don't allow you to ask those questions. Mm. So we've been chatting to the likes of Paul Coleman uh, on a tour bus uh, somewhere in the middle of America and uh, chatting to him and we were especially chatting about uh, some of those evangelical church, conservative church spaces uh, which uh, all of us grew up in and how uh, some of the answers that those spaces gave us just really became very um, dissatisfying. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was good conversation, and I really enjoyed, you know, because uh, you know, as as you say, as the podcast kind of evolved, rather than just talking about well, where we've come from in terms of that evangelical space and the awkwardness of questioning and pushing about that, you know, that awareness too, that as we you know explore the world, there's other spaces that maybe we're not come out of, but we find ourselves suddenly in, you know, and with Caleb in that the last episode, kind of just talking about some of the the I guess some of the racial tensions that have you know that have always been there, mm. and we're starting to address those things, you know, but. In, in some ways, in, in a good, um, or at least they're being addressed is probably the, the better thing rather than saying that it's being addressed well, but things are starting to get addressed. Mm. But it's an awkward position for us, you, know, you and I personally, I guess, yeah, yeah. we, we are the, happen to be the race, the age, the gender of the, <laughs> what's been the oppressive dominant group for yeah, yeah. quite some time. Um, and how do we then engage into this in a, in a healthy way? Um, which is going to, in some ways, usurp the power that our own people, so to speak, have created for themselves. Yeah, mm. and we we are pretty much uh, privileged personified, right? Two middle-aged white guys uh, trying to work out uh, how to be a part of these conversations without doing it in a classical middle-aged white guy kind of way and trying to run the conversation or take over the conversation. And definitely, I think something that came out of that chat with Caleb was was just that idea of shutting up and listening. Yep. yep. You know, uh, that, that, that's something that is, uh, if a few more middle-aged white guys could learn how to do, uh, the world might be heading in a better direction. Totally, totally. One of the things you know, that I really did appreciate from Caleb too was just the, um, you know, the, the grace and the awareness where he did say to us, yeah, and you guys can't help being white. And, yeah, yeah. and unfortunately, <laughs> that in itself can be um, – a bit of a blind spot, I guess, for not knowing ourselves, the own extent to our own privilege, which means we will probably say things even out of the best intent that are going to come from a position of ignorance and a position of privilege that we're not even aware, mm-hmm. which is why if we ever do that, please get us on you know, on Facebook. You can jump on, find us at the Awkward In Between um, and let us know. Pull us up, help us, educate us because that's what this podcast is all about. Mm. Anyway, we should move on. And yeah, you know, one of the things yep. that uh, I've, I've really enjoyed so far in the conversation and this is – Coming back to that, uh, my very strong kind of conservative evangelical upbringing um, and a lot of those questions that I've had in that space that probably were my 
catalyst for this whole journey mm. um, has been realizing that other people's journeys in that space are so different. You know, like for me, it, it was, you know, I was pastor's kid, uh, you know, in a, quite a conservative space and then in a Pentecostal space, but quite fundamentalist and, and conservative doctrinally. But uh, then, you know, t- chatting to Paul, who yeah. felt like he never really fit in. He was also in very much, you know, the, kind of the, the pastor's kid. But uh, but he said that he never really felt like he fit in. He always was looking on like an outsider looking in. Uh, and then chatting to Caleb, whose journey again, um, missionary parents, pastor's kid again, interestingly enough, mm. and yet such a different journey, you know, kind of drugs and gangs um, in the Caribbean. But, uh, but then, you know, had this really mystical experience with God that has defined his spirituality Um ever since it's like so the journey even for people that have been in some of similar spaces to me Mm. has not been the same and i think that that's probably true of our guest today um so you know great how's that for a segue did you get that and and what a great way to brush over the fact that neither of us brought any beers with us which we had said in episode one was going to be a hallmark of this particular i know and i look i did think about it before i came but i'm like well we're coming to leanne's house so it's a bit weird for us to show up with beers for us I'm not really sure but Leanne is a beer drinker. Leanne is not a beer drinker <laughs> or even an alcohol drinker. There How you go. So, so, no, well, we're nothing if not happy to be flexible. So, okay. we'll have this a great beer good. again at the next episode. <laughs> but, no, Leanne, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, David. Um, why don't you give us a little bit of context about um, about yourself and uh, I guess where our journey's connected and we'll oh, see okay. where the conversation All goes. Right. Well, I'm a 61 year old woman with three adult daughters. And uh, my church experience began in youth days, um, where I, that's where I joined in, got very involved and have been very involved for a long time. In the Uniting Church, we had a big thing called YAF, Y-A-F, which was very, very big in Brisbane in those days. We used to average about 4,000 attendees. Uh, our biggest night, we had 5,000. And when it came to its very kind of natural end, uh, 26 of our team joined um, the AGMF crew, as it was. So we kind of continued working with young people, and that, of course, is where mm. I met you, Dave. Yes, mm. AGMF, the Australian mm. Gospel Music Festival, yep. which for those who've been listening to the podcast but maybe weren't involved in the festival mm. or aware of the festival back in the day is what later became known as Easter Fest, the mm. festival that I was privileged enough to be a part of running for about 10 years. Mm. Um, but I came in... That's about halfway through the actual full Easterfest AGMF journey. And uh, Leanne and uh, her husband, Pete, and a whole bunch of the old Yath crew and others had been there long before me. Yes, yes, (laughs) this is true. We were were there a long time. I was the upstart newcomer when I arrived, let's be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. Also true. But, yes, we we all brought different gifts to to the grounds and it was great. Yeah. yeah, the best of times and how lucky were we to be there is what I feel. So amazing, such yes. great memories. Absolutely. Ten years of the most incredible memories for yes. me yeah. and even longer for yourself. Yeah, and it'd be interesting to see, you know, how much we've all changed since, what that would look like, you know, doing anything like that again. Yeah, yeah. Well, interestingly enough, I, I originally had ideas, like, I should just do a podcast where I literally mm. just talk to people who used to be a part of Easterfest mm. and uh, and find out what's going on for them now. What do they believe? What are they doing? You know, uh, what are their memories of the festival? And then, as it turns out, we've pretty much done that so far. <laughs> yeah. We're three episodes in and we've uh, interviewed... Uh, 
two people who were artists at the festival and yeah. Leanne, who at least in the final years of the festival, was uh, heading up our chaplaincy team. Mm. Yes, I started with two chaplains and in my last year I had 53. Um, and those were wonderful days, you know, having people on the ground and when the tent fell down, for example. Oh. You know, being at the right place at the right time with the right people. And mm. I think Easter Fest certainly gave me an experience of that, unlike in, at any other time in my life. Uh, that was an extraordinary experience across the board. Mm. Um, yeah, and we got to meet and care for people. My, my specific um, ministry and interest in, in the Christian world is empathy. Mm. I find that church people suck. <laughs> empathy, they're just not good at it mm. and we have a tendency to throw out Bible verses in some trite little manner that will make things feel better and invariably they have the possibility of making things worse mm. and ending up that in some way God doesn't love me um, or this wouldn't be happening or, or saying to people that everything happens for a reason and you know there are lots of things that are actually more damaging than people intend um, and so that's, it was good to work on that with the team and we had people, you know, that were good at that and since then I've, you know, gone on and learned much more about empathy since and the the vacancy that exists in church people. We really don't know well and may I say, you know, dare I say, in the the more Pentecostal style of church, there is a tendency, I think, to really not follow through because the, the crowd is so large maybe – but people's stories aren't always heard. People can disappear very easily. And if you don't meet the criteria, be that your dress or your or your style or whatever, you can lose sight of God completely mm. and not be happy at all with that experience. And I've met way too many people have come who've come out of that just being plain sad, mm. you know, or and or damaged, really, if we're going to be honest, damaged. Mm. And there are a lot of people I think that, you know, this this podcast probably is is for in a kind of a way. You know, people who are – you talked about it, the in-between. Yeah. Many, many years ago I was at a church where things were happening and we were all feeling just lost and we called it the wilderness. Mm. And there is something about the wilderness, like you know it's got an end, but you can't – how do you get through it? Mm. What do you do? How, how do you knock through down all the branches and stuff and to see clearly when you've lost your way? Mm. I reckon we jump in there. Right? I've got oh, so many questions okay. to oh, you. Gosh. Oh gosh! Okay. Okay. I mean, and it's fascinating. Like almost, I think this first season is going to be, you know, um, an almost an exploration of this awkward in between. Mm. Um, in connection to faith, because yeah. that's been a constant theme, I guess, that we've had um, mm. for the first three episodes of the podcast. Um, I'm curious straight away because mm. one, one of the terms. There's a couple of things I want to jump on. The first mm. one is probably probably even the, the term God. Like for me, that's not mm. even a term that I necessarily feel comfortable with anymore because it has so much stigma to it. Um, you know, for me, when I hear the word God, it automatically goes back to um, this idea of it needing to be a masculine figure, that it needing to be almost like a humanoid type. Mm. You know, someone with almost like a, a super being, right? If you well, know what I mean, which is. Um, often seems to be the, the idea of God that gets projected most in evangelical spaces and, and in the public sphere, which I really dislike. So when you mm. talk about God... It's quite different. What, yeah. mm-hmm. So this is what I say to people. I even said it to someone today. If your God is an old white man on a cast, in a castle on a cloud handing out gifts, then your God is too small. Mm. That's a fairy tale. Mm. My God is 
you know, certainly not male or female, mm. and is certainly bigger and and scientific and structured. I, we can't look at, you know, creation if that's the word you, you're comfortable with, and see the fact that the, the way we work, our hands alone, opposable thumbs for heaven's <laughs> sake, the way our planet sits on just the right. Um, degree mm. so that we have seasons and that the you know the tides and all of that that to me is extraordinary and I don't mm. think a big bang made that mm. and what that means I don't know I'm fascinated with you know time what does time all mean yeah. string theory I'm fascinated with all that so my god is way way bigger that and so for me miracles are easy as mm. why, why couldn't Jesus walk through a door I have no <laughs> issues with that kind of thing. Mm. Why can't we have a virgin birth? You know, I'd, because I think we, we have spent so much time creating God in our image. We've dumbed him down. Mm -hmm. We've made him smaller. And dare I say, we've made him American. <laughs> wow. <Yeah>. That's <laughs> yes, so true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's safer, isn't it? Like oh, it, course, it feels yes. safer to have a God that you can contain in a box yes, and that you can yes. define and you can say, well, this is where God starts and this is where God finishes. Yes. And, you know, we, we, how do you do that with God, for mm. heaven's sake? Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, yes. But, yeah. Paul Coleman said something that really resonated with me as well, is, and, and I think is very similar to what you're saying, is it, just there are things, for me it's things like beauty and creativity mm. and, and just the emotions of, of love and, and even suffering and, and how we experience all of those things that just don't make sense to me unless mm. there's some sort of meaning behind mm. it all. Do you know, what the, you know what the thing is for me? Harmony. Mm. Like mm. actual musical notes mm -hmm. and how, you know, us living in harmony with each other and how that extends so far past just music, you know, things, yeah. th things that work for yeah. a reason. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't want to put that on anybody else, mm. but, but I, I agree for me, those are the sorts of things that have caused me to want to wrestle with faith Mm. Uh, and spirituality rather than just discard it. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's, it's funny because as I've journeyed through all of that, one of the things I've come to think is that even if that's not true, even if, mm. if somebody could come and sit down with us right now and, and show us some great spreadsheets and some graphs and prove beyond a shadow mm. of a doubt mm. that there's absolutely no meaning behind all mm. of this, it's completely accidental and completely mm. meaningless, mm. I'd be like, yeah, no, thanks. I'm good. Oh, don't, yes. I don't want to know. Like, yeah. Because I don't really, for me, I'm not sure that even if that's true, that knowing that that is true would somehow help me. Like, If it's mm. meaningless mm. and I live as if there's meaning, I choose to live in a way that believes that there's some meaning uh, and it turns out that it's not true, well, it won't matter that I did, mm. except mm. that perhaps my experience of this journey may be better you know so mm. something that can bring me more joy maybe cause me to be what seems to me to be a better person in this world mm. and and be better at bringing joy to others uh if it's not mm. true mm. kind of who cares oh, yeah yeah and i like so that kind of brings me back to the other thing that yeah, mm. i was kind of just interested to explore a bit more was this idea of of the wilderness mm. because i guess myself the wilderness is something that i don't necessarily see needing to have an mm -hmm. end to it. Uh, is that something like, for, oh. yeah, I'm more than happy for almost the wilderness just to be this state of being. Um, That's true. And I, I, this particular church, um, a friend of ours turned up, brand new, just, you know, and she was hearing us talking about this regularly. 
And in the end, she, you know, she was very bold of her as a, as a, you know, a young person who's just arrived at the church. And she asked, could she speak to us all? And she said, I understand that something happened before I got here, and I don't know what those things are. And I understand that you're in a place that is makes you all uncomfortable. And she said, but the difference is, your wilderness is my home. Mm. And it was, mm. oh my goodness, and it really kind of woke us all up that still where we were had opportunity to provide for others a feeling of an, an, a home. Mm. And that hadn't occurred to us, that these middle spaces, these in-between mm. songs, Amy Grant used to have a song called The Now and The Not Yet, mm -hmm. and that, that, you know, that place of being caught there, um, for some people is a very safe space where they have felt in other areas, unsafe mm. or mm. challenged or abused even. Like, you know, we can go the whole hog. And it's been awful for some people. So the wilderness, as you said, mm. for others is much safer. Mm. Yeah. And you're right, maybe we don't have to come throughout the others, other side of that. Mm. Yeah. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Mm. I'm curious too, just on, mm. broad, on a broader side then, all right, because mm -hmm. one of the things, you know, and we were talking about this before we started recording, so I personally actually studied to become a Baptist minister myself. So I went mm -hmm. through the Queensland Baptist um, College in early 2000s. Now, the Baptist, particularly in Queensland, um, was incredibly entrenched in, I guess, what you would call patriarchy. So mm. in the Queensland Baptists, it was um, you could not ordain a woman to become a minister Gosh. in a Baptist church mm. in the 2000s. Is that still a case? Um, it may even still be. I, I haven't been connected, it is, yeah. and it may still be the mm -hmm. case. Mm. So I'm kind of curious on that score, mm -hmm. having you know, being being someone who's working in a, like a ministry role as a woman. Mm. Obviously, Uniting Church doesn't have the same dogma not at all. Not to at all. it to the Baptist, but the church itself, you know, evangelical has a, a lot of the time still seemed to be a male dominated space. Yeah. Like, has that been your experience? Not at all. Okay. Yeah, the United Church from day one, uh, we um, was created in 1977. Um, so it's so Forty-five years or so. So from day one, women we've been at one hundred percent equal. Our current president is a woman. Mm. Our last president is a woman, and the next one coming, and they're all voted in. Um, so yes, it's we're at one hundred percent equal. Mm. Yeah. So it, that's certainly not been my experience, and I've been really grateful for that for my girls. Mm. My, my daughters have grown up there, and for a brief time, one of my children went to a a different church that did not ordain women. Mm. And she said, you, you don't realise how much you're used to hearing the balance between male and female over the years when you go to church when, you know, the women, some of whom were had more degrees in theology than the minister, but were not allowed to preach. Yeah, wow. um, yeah it was quite the eye-opener for her when that's been their experience their whole life. Mm. Yeah, they've had a male minister. Uh, United Church is a bit different. You get about a five-year tenure mm -hmm. and then you move on, mm. you know, and you might get ten if you've got kids doing specific tasks. Um, so, yeah, ministers don't come and stay with a parish you mm. know, for, for the rest of their lives. Mm. Yeah, so we learn new they, – they bring us new things and we learn new things and then we start again. Mm. So mm. given, the, given mm. that then, because now yeah. I'm really curious, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> no, no, so, more so, so given then you've had an experience in, a, in, a, like in an institution that I guess a lot of people that aren't involved in yeah. just presume to be a very yeah. you know, a patriarchal and oppressive kind of institution, to weekly, particularly towards women, given that you haven't had that experience, yeah. which is fantastic to yeah. hear, <laughs> when you look at the, the broader, I guess, social space at the moment, because there's obviously a lot of um, injustice and things still going mm. on, and, and there is you know, quite a, a large feminist voice at the moment, which is not Very a bad much thing. So. But yeah. I'm just wondering then, 
Does that resonate with you at all from your experience just overall generally being a woman or not? Oh, I love seeing what's happening in politics. Mm. You know, Penny Wong for Prime Minister. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, yes, I love that women now have a voice, um, increasingly so. Um, And I think it's down to the young women that have spoken out the last few years and they've been heard. Um, There are still some things that you hear on the radio or advertising and I think... Why is she posed in that photo, mm. for, for like in that specific way? Mm. You know, it's it was glasses today. Yeah. I was at the optometrist, and it was J Lo in these beautiful glasses, but there was just like half a breast was showing. Mm. And I'm thinking, why? Mm. Why? You know, mm. show off the glasses. So yes, I still see that is there, and that's going to take a very long time. But I do think women and young women are gaining their voice. Mm. You know, and and it has to be. Mm. It has to be. I mean, we're fifty percent. Yeah. Yeah, can we just say that? Yes. <laughs> I think equal pay would be, you know, a, mm. a, very, a great next step. And I think that's a, a bit of a process still on on go. Yeah. Mm. And actually, I think, you know, like one of the things, not just like with the, you know, because on one hand there's a lot, particularly here in Australia, and I know it's different in other places around the world, there's a lot of industries now in Australia where the pay for a role, you know, it will be irrespective of whether it's man, mm-hmm. woman or whatever. It'll be the right, you mm. know, that pay... But there still seems to be a strong push towards paying roles that have been more traditionally, I guess, male-type roles seem to earn more pay than roles that have been more traditionally towards the feminine side. Mm. And I look Mm. at that as still ultimately saying then we value a masculine energy more than we value a feminine energy in the world. Do you reckon that's… Yeah, yes, that's definitely still the case. And I think part of it is that you hire someone with extraordinary gifts or talents and degrees and all sorts of things, but you know at some stage they might even have a baby. Mm. You know, so I don't think companies always want to invest as much in someone who's who's at some stage possibly going to leave mm. and then, you know, might come back to you or not. Um, and that's a terrible thing, you know. Mm. That's, yeah, yeah. yeah. We've, mm. we've seen that certainly in our friends. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah. We... Um talked a little bit about you know as two white guys finding it awkward sometimes to know how Mm. to engage in some of Mm. these conversations recently i was uh try you know tentatively engaging in some uh commenting on a actually it was a paul coleman facebook post (laughs) uh and it was it was sitting in in around uh some of the abortion debate Mm. that's going on in america at the moment with Mm. potential changes and Mm. uh laws being overturned and and whatnot um, and there was a couple of other in, and I must say they were American, but maybe that's beside mm. the point. Um, I'll mm. let you decide, mm. but, um, uh, white men who were having some fairly strong things to say, fairly strong opinions mm. in that space, um, Christian opinion, conservative Christians mm. having opinions, um, and uh, one of the one of the girls in that conversation, uh, who I do know uh, not well, but I, I know her, um, really called them out. You know, really shut them down. And uh, I guess it just raised for me the question of how do how do people like Damien and I? How would you think that we can engage in those sorts of conversations where we have opinions, mm. where also 
very aware of the fact that our opinions exist in a space of privilege and in the case of something mm. like, you know, pregnancy and abortion, neither of us have wombs. Mm. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's there's aspects of that discussion that we can never actually experience or, or be personally connected to. But I love that you want to have an opinion, you know, and that your opinion, which is different from the, you know, far right, it needs to be heard. Mm. Um, yeah, and I, I would very much hope that you would have that opinion and, you know, and preface it with, you know, possibly what I've got to say comes from a place of privilege, mm. but here's my concerns as a father of right. girls. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, and, I, you know, I very much respect men um, who have an opinion on such things, especially when they've got daughters. Mm. You know, I think that's when it looks different. Mm. It's different to, you know, look, you know, if you've got a house full of boys possibly, but suddenly when you've got girls, it's like, oh, hang on. That's not what I want for my daughter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. It kind of makes me feel good about one of the things that I said. I, I responded at the time, you know, to Rebecca and I said, you know, do you think it's possible for someone like myself to be a part of this conversation, mm. to even have opinions, to listen more and, and, and as long as it's, you know, in a context of understanding that, in some ways, WTF would I know, you know yeah. um, as a man. Um, but to go, I want to engage in this conversation. I don't mm. want to be shut out of the conversation because mm. I think it matters, because mm. I think it's it's important and it's important for women. Uh, and, and like we said, you know, how do we, in a sense, kind of leverage our privilege rather than try to, um, you, you know, kind of sit in our privilege? Yeah, that's a balancing act, I think, for yeah. a lot of people. But the difference is that you're aware of your privilege. How many, <laughs> how many are not, you know, and say grandiose things, which are often, you know, dreadful, um, and don't realise their own privilege. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, I say I, I have some awareness of my privilege, <laughs> and, and and it's not unusual for me to to have like that's a constant kind of sense of revelation mm. you know like i actually find and, and even as we've been doing the podcast and intentionally stepping into those kinds of conversations and spaces almost on a daily basis some new revelation hits me you know standing in the shower where i realize uh, you know again all over again you know something, something else you, about you how my whiteness realize. or my maleness or my straightness yeah. have privileged me um, or continue to privilege me um, in such subtle ways sometimes. Yeah, it does. And I think, dare I say, you're also at the age, you know, where you start to see things a bit differently. How mm. old are you now? You're past 40, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yes. closer to 50 now, very oh, close to 50. that's not right. <laughs> um, but I think, I think absolutely. It was interesting someone said to me recently that they thought as people got older, people got more conservative. Mm. And I would say absolutely in my experience, it's the opposite. Yeah. Absolutely. The people that I know, as we've gotten older, you know, your kids have moved out, you stop and reflect on the things that you do that are of value to you and why are they what things do you want to hang on to and what things are you prepared to let go mm. um and i think don't you think as you get older you start to see things quite differently it's certainly been the case in our yeah. household yes <laughs> and i think yeah. that's a sign 
in some ways, I think that's a really healthy sign of ageing when somebody, yes. you know, because I think the conservative state, I mean, that's the nature of conservatism, isn't it? You have something and then you want to protect it and you want to fight other people Double from, down, from yeah. taking it. Mm. And if one of the things that you're feeling conservative about is your youth, you will also mm. then become somebody who's still trying to hold on to, to that mm. and fight that. Whereas when you can reach that age, and that's one of the great things about mm. ageing because ultimately you you don't get a choice on that. Mm. You mm. will get old and you will die. Yes. Um, that is <laughs> going, that. That's mm. going to happen. And if you can actually reach that point of being comfortable with that, I think that's a great position to get yourself into you know, a more openness to other things that you may have been holding on Absolutely. to tightly as well. I, I would certainly say that's my experience. And I still go to church every week and I love it and I'm a worship leader, um, but I do belong to a very inclusive church. But I very much recognise in friends of mine, you know, their story has not been pleasant. Mm. It's been very difficult and really hard things have happened in their lives and they've not had the support or, in fact, they've been told, you know, not to deal with it in that way. That's not how you do this, you know, mm. um, and that everything works out. Or if your faith was a certain kind of level, this wouldn't be happening to you. Mm. All of that kind of stuff mm-hmm. that's just wrong. And I'm very thankful that that's, you know, not been my experience. But I'm certainly keenly aware that I see more and more of it in some of my friends. Mm. Um, and that's really sad, mm. you know. I've, I've That's sad. We just, gosh, we have to do better. Yeah. Mm. yeah, you know, our last week's reading, we in the United Church, well, ours anyway, we use the liturgy mm. and last week's reading, you know, was about, you know, the, and they'll know, the abbreviated version, they'll know you're Christians by your love and how you treat each other. Mm. Oh, mm-hmm. Please, you know, we, we are the worst advertisement for Jesus. Mm. Yeah. So often. Yeah. And I think that's... That's very sad. I, I, it kind of breaks my heart a bit when people move away from, from Jesus because nothing he really said or did that you could fault. But we are such poor examples mm-hmm. of him and the things that he actually said and did. Mm. You know, I, I often say to people, and this might be a little bold, that Jesus currently is blonde, blue-eyed, he's wearing a suit, he's in a mega church, mm. um, and he, and dare I say, he's got an American flag in one hand and mm. a gun in another. Right. So we have created Jesus that is so far removed from the Middle Eastern man who spoke out against religion, who asked us to look after refugees and the poor and the elderly mm. and not to hoard your money. We've changed him completely to suit us and that's the sadness is is that the the Jesus that these people feel like they've been let down by isn't isn't real mm, isn't yeah. real he's a creation capitalist um, Jesus capitalist yeah. Jesus and, yes and, 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 and white Jesus, Jesus. protecting a particular agenda and a yep, particular absolutely mm. and now he's white <laughs> yeah. mm. you know? yep. I, I I don't know if you remember this but I, I actually have quite distinct memories of um, us sitting down and having a meeting it was mm. an Easter fest meeting when you know mm. talking about your mm. role in chaplaincy and mm. I was obviously running the event and and that's what the meeting was mm. for. And I don't know how much of the uh, catch-up we actually mm. spent talking about any of that stuff, to be honest. Okay. Yeah. What, I, what I do remember is, I guess even then, because this was before Easter Fest came mm. to an end, um, there were things I was wrestling with, you know, mm. questions. Yeah, yeah. That, and, and especially then in a space where I didn't feel like I was allowed to ask some questions. Mm. And I remember unpacking some of that a little bit with you. Mm. And one of the things that was most striking to me that day was was the fact that y- you almost you almost looked a little dumbfounded at times. 
mm. you would listen to what I was saying mm. and and for me it was my only experience mm. of Christianity and church was a particular um, worldview that didn't allow me to ask certain mm. questions. And I just remember kind of talking about that at, as you would when that's your only mm. experience, mm. right, that that's just the way it is in church, mm. but I'm struggling with it. Mm. And, and the response being almost kind of like, is it? Oh, okay. It was like mm. it was so different to your experience Absolutely. of church. Yeah. And you've shared that, obviously, that you, you know, this has not been the same experience you've had over you know, many, many years in the Uniting Church. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I look, and I've certainly had my moments. I've worked at church at churches twice, and mm. that's not always a great space to be because you see all the back no, <laughs> the machinery and the, and, and, the, and the back room and, mm. and discussions. And that can be difficult to make because we all want church people to be better. And we have high expectations. The reality is, this is the expression I use, kingdom builders are everywhere. Mm. You know, so there'll be people in churches, but they'll be the same people who will be difficult in the PNC and the soccer club and anywhere. And for some reason, we don't think they're at church, but they are. Mm, mm. <laughs> um, so, yes, I have had, you know, a few experiences I could have done without. And we took a year off church just a few years ago. Um, and sometimes you j I just we just needed to be away, mm. you know, from everything because when we're there, we're in everything. Yeah, yeah, we just cannot help ourselves because it's who we are. If you're going to do it, do it properly. Um, and so we've now gone back, but the year off was a very good thing. Mm. Year off just to stop and sit, and you know, just reflect. And then it came time it was time to go back to church. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. for us, yeah, very much. But I, we had an interesting group about four or five years ago now, and you you've heard of the group, uh, the United Church. At a, at a level, a state level, realise that there are lots of people who are disenchanted with their church experience. So created for us our own group. Mm. Um, uh, seconded a minister from his parish and he met with us. There was only probably about 20 of us and we looked at the likes of uh, Richard Raw, Rachel mm. Held Evans, um, Nadia, um, Bolts Weber, you know, mm -hmm. all of those kind of people. We would watch videos and have great discussions. Um, and it was a wonderful time. And then lots of people from outside, you know, the Uniting Church joined us who just needed to offload and talk through their church experience in a safe space. Mm -hmm. And that's the biggest thing is just holding space for people, not telling people how to fix it because mm -hmm. all our experience is different. But I do like that expression, holding space, mm -hmm. where you you know, just shut up and listen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's not easy for me, Damien. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, and it's fascinating. I mean, I've had – and you see this a lot, um, again, you know, um, in those kind of more conservative – but, again, the, the bigger, louder, your, your brash, your, you know, your Hillsong-type mm. church, your American mm. evangelical-branded mm. churches, I guess, mm. is probably the, the best description I've got, where – because I think those conversations, and I found the same, like when I first heard Richard Raw or people like, mm. you know, Rob Bell and people that are yep. just very open um, and giving permission to say, hey, you know what, spirituality, mm. faith, you know, even this, mm. you know, within the, 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 you know, the confines of, you know, Christianity, it is such an open pool and an open discussion. It can be a really healthy and vibrant mm. and explorative and, and fun mm. place to really mm. just sit and banter at ideas and philosophize. Mm. But the minute you even suggest within, you know, some of those more very conservative or those, you know, Pentecostal evangelical mm. churches that those conversations – they even look at those style of conversations as being – It's dangerous. Dangerous. Yes. Mm. And that mm. – I mean, you know, for me, I find that really, really problematic. Mm. Um, 
I'm just empathising, like for people that mm. are in those kind of spaces, you know, how difficult, because that's something I think, unless you've been in that space, it's really difficult to understand how um, toxic and how intoxicated the people in mm. those are, have become almost with fear that to question anything outside of what it is that they're mm. experiencing, um, there's almost a fear that it could lead to some sort of eternal damnation. Mm. Mm. Um yeah, and so I, I don't know if you mm. if you find that you know with the people that you're connecting with you know that maybe people that have come kind of come out of that space or you know or even if you find that as a way of um, becoming more um, just understanding and empathetic, getting back to that thing mm. of empathy of people that may seem quite hostile and dogmatic in their beliefs. This idea that there's actually something else underlying very their hostility, often. very often, and and giving people a space to to talk that out without judgment. Mm. That's a very hard place because you know Brene Brown, she's a bit of a hero, mm-hmm. always talks about you know being open and being vulnerable, mm. and people are not good at that. No. You know, and that's that is very difficult. Where you know David will tell you, I am an open book. <laughs> I have no secret agendas. There's no backup plan that I'm trying to achieve, and and that can make people uncomfortable with me. And I'm I'm aware of that. My mother was exactly the same. And we're the kind of people who just open up. I will tell you everything that you need to know about me and more. Um, <laughs> and, and which, but that gives p- people permission to tell their stories. Mm. Um, and that happens. And I'm the person in the shopping. I've met lovely people. I love to go out my one day a week and I have remarkable conversations with people in shopping centres. You know, hugging the girl in Kmart that was crying the other day. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Because if you're open, and I love name tags, I could always, you know, please always wear name tags. <laughs> and, you know, people love their name to be used. They l- love to be heard. They love to be remembered. Um, and I think that's my... That's very much my job, um, um, and just allow, and it, not just in church circles, but across the board. You know, I say to people, um, we, we this comes up a lot in our little Bible study group that I have with the, at our minister's house, that when the Pharisees asked Jesus what was the most important commandments, and apparently there's like 650 commandments in total, like lots of them. Yeah, that's right. And then he, Jesus says to love the Lord your God, heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbour as yourself. And there were no caveats attached to that. Mm. And that's the problem. The amount of caveats that those kind of churches attach. Love everyone, but maybe not if they're gay. Mm. Or love everyone, but not if they're Muslim. Mm. Or love definitely not if they're black. And there were just none. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I don't know, we just don't do – well, we try. Mm. But, you know, so many people are caught up in that kind of judgmental, loathsome thing, yeah. and it's just dreadful. And, that, and that's not just a Christian experience. That's what I found. Is mm. that, that, that idea of the, the lovable and that non-lovable yeah. exists outside. Yeah, that exists in Whoever is the other. Right? There's always another. Mm. Yes. Mm. Yeah, and I, mean, I think we've seen that the last few years, haven't we, where yeah. we have become very scared of the other, whoever the other are. Yep. In so many ways, more so because I think we've, I think we're inherently scared mm. the last few years about what on earth is going on, and every time you turn around, there's some new crazy thing mm. happening that you weren't prepared for, and somehow we, it's like we need someone to blame, mm. um, and yeah, and I'm just use a little example. We talk about African gangs, for example, in Victoria, mm. but we know for a fact that African youth are only accountable for 1% of the crime in Victoria. Mm. If 100 white kids are at a party, are they not a gang? Yeah. Mm. How does that work? Mm. You know, but we, you know, if, if it's 100 black kids, you know, at a party, they're a gang. Mm. 
And so, and that's across the board. I've seen that with my African friends. That's their experience here. Um, you know, you see it not as much now with my gay friends. I think that's settling mm. a little bit. But certainly, you know, or friends that may have had abortions mm. or for medical reasons or whatever, people who know better and men, you know, having all sorts of opinions on on that. Yeah, yeah when people do th things other than the way we would do it, mm. I think people are a little bit are more hostile than they were. Mm. Yeah. So I think the last few years, we've, you know, through the virus, we have seen the absolute best in people. Yeah. But my gosh, we've seen, we've seen the truth of people, you know, who they really are. And mm -hmm. that's, for some of us, that's been quite shocking. Mm -hmm. You know, I did not know you were like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, someone that you might know well. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So that anybody, right, let's put mm. you on the hot seat oh, for a second. Oh, gosh. No, okay. I mean, part of, the, part of the things that we've just, you know, identified in ourselves and also just yeah. being able to be more in developing self-awareness is becoming aware of, when there are other groups that, you know, while we may have the ideals and you know, I'm trying to become somebody who is loving and encompassing and mm. embracing of everybody, mm. but still becoming aware of my, you know, uh, like just uh, this week, I, you know, became a bit more just aware of my own subconscious racism because I do walk mm. down the street and, you know, if there was a group of you know, Indigenous Australian men mm. there, I suddenly feel a, a sense of fear mm. um, and suddenly realising, oh, cognitively and, you know, up upstairs, I don't see uh, and, and yet there is something biologically entrenched deeper in me. Yeah, I think that's all of us. That is and racist. It, yes. Um, so I was going to ask, yeah, are there, like, are there groups and, and things or people or that you're still finding, wow, I didn't realise I still held on to some sort of... That make you feel uncomfortable that you're still addressing or questions that you don't feel safe to ask. I think just as a woman, it's probably just if you're driving, I'm learning increasingly more to drive with doors locked. Mm -hmm. You know, those kind of things that I probably at my age haven't done, mm -hmm. where my daughters automatically do. So sometimes, you know, and I think this, this man might mean nothing at all, mm -hmm. you know, but I don't know who that is, I lock the doors. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's an inherent thing I was probably surprised about um, that I hadn't probably been aware of. Probably racially-wise, I probably might even go a little bit too far, <laughs> you know, the other way, you know, trying to help out. Um, and I've got to be careful of that because I could be the kind of person who likes to be seen doing the good thing. Hmm. And that's no better, really, you know. I really – I don't like the things on Facebook and stuff where you watch people filming their good deed. Yeah, yeah don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> don't do that. Yeah, so I, I, I'm aware that I have to be careful of that. But my first response is generally to jump in. You know, something needs fixing. So my first response is to, is to jump, possibly not – I don't always think. And I had a missed opportunity the other week. Someone was tech sending me messages that were very disturbing, very uncomfortable, and I chose not to engage. And I have to say – what happened the next few days, I could I could have handled that better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was probably a, like a mental illness issue. Mm -hmm. um, and that is something, that's out of my, that's way out of my depth. But if you're the only person there right then, you still have to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so probably that's that's something I'll have to work on a bit because, you know, homeless people, are, there's homeless mm -hmm. people in the area and, you know, you get to know them all by name. But you still need to be wary and you need to know what's – how did we get here? Mm -hmm. What's happened? What's your story and, and stuff? And one of them still plays on my mind. I see his face 
well, he has disappeared from mm-hmm. the area, but I, I found him so – there was something about him and I don't know what it was and I might never know what it was, uh, but he was fascinating. Yeah, mm. very, very tall, dark-skinned, beautiful man mm. from um, Sri Lanka, I believe, mm. yeah, and completely lost, completely lost. So, yeah, nothing really at this stage, you know, prob- probably the right-wing Christians do my head in. Yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. there it is. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah, I do, I do find that uh, very uncomfortable. Uh, and I put on my Facebook the other day, I have just found what I consider the most beautiful TV series I've ever seen. Mm. I'm now up to my 10th watch through and it's called Heartstopper. Mm. And it's uh, an English thing. It's a coming out story. So there's a, a gay young man in year 10 um, and um, an older boy and they, you know, begin a relationship and this older boy is like a bit shocked in trying to work out where he fits in the world. Mm. And I wanted to say so much stuff about that on Facebook but I have a lot of, you know, right-wing Christian friends and I thought, oh my gosh, how are they, earth, are they going to respond? And I think as I've gotten at this a little bit older, I care less. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and I'm like, you know what? This is a marvellous show and people should see it. It is lovely. Mm. Um, You know, there's no language, there's no sex, there's no anything inappropriate. But you never see um, LGBTQI people and relationships in that age group. And that's when people are working out who they are and it's Mm -hmm. hard work. And this show has just represented it all so beautifully. Mm. And it's acted by two 18-year-old boys who are still at school who are extraordinary actors. But anyway, um, but I did have to say in my thing, you know what, if if you're worried about my spiritual life, don't be. I'm fine, thanks. But also, if, if this makes you uncomfortable about what I believe, then feel free to delete me. Mm. You yeah. know, that's wow. <laughs> kind of what I've, I've had to get to yeah. because I, you know, I don't believe a lot of what my friends say and think. Their far-right understanding mm. of things I find quite offensive um, and they wouldn't like that about me. No. Uh, maybe if it was someone else, they could just cast me off. But because they know me, yeah. it's more difficult to know what to do with. Yeah. Yeah, because people make assumptions about Christians, about how you vote, mm-hmm. what you'll do, you know, in so many ways. And I think, <laughs> no, that's I'm, I am none of those things. Yep. So, yeah, okay, we, we did hit the growth. <laughs> yeah, I do fi- I find that's that. That's the them. They've yeah, become that's your them. them. <laughs> that, that, that's my them, yeah. And how, how do we engage with a group, you know, people like that in, oh. in these conversations? I don't know that you'd engage. I think you'd get a lecture, mm. and all the things that you you think that are wrong. Um, and for me, it's it's about the it's, it comes back to you know biblical things is what people say. But you have to have to understand the the political climate of the day. You have mm-hmm. to, you know thankfully in that group that I was in in the city we had um a, a young man who was brilliant at reading and the backgrounds and you know if there was a a Jewish festival, he would study up on that Jewish festival and then we would discuss it then. And then things changed in the light of the understanding. No point in, re- you know, in reading something in 2022 with today's understanding of what a wedding looks like. Mm-hmm. And then when you know what the, you know, this is what happened at a wedding in these days, mm. then the whole reading looks different. Mm. Yes. And we, we've got to be more informed about who wrote the book, when, why each you know all all of that mm. um, and and I think that's the thing the last few years I've certainly become more 
informed where other people would find it. Mm. You know, they, they would be offended by my new take on things. Mm. Yeah. But in other circumstances, it would be true to say that if you felt like you were in a religious environment that you were not allowed to ask certain questions mm. and you had to believe exactly this and do what you're told. Isn't there a, a word we use for that? Wouldn't we call that a cult? <laughs> yes, I think we would. So, yeah. it, like, I just, it, yeah, I, I don't know. There it, is a lot of cultish thinking mm. um, and, and I think you see it in those, you know, sometimes in those bigger churches as they get on the other side of young adults mm. or especially when you're having kids and some of those things are not going to cut it anymore. Mm. And you can't be there every week because you've got kids or whatever. And you, you, you develop, your, your brain starts to, to think outside the box. And I, certainly once you have children, gosh, things change. Mm. You know, and, you know, <laughs> and because your kids invariably do not go down the path you have any expectation that they're going to. Uh, and Ain't then you think, that the how, truth? <laughs> how did we get here? Yes. Um, and it's quite, it can be quite surprising. And that in itself calls you to really have a look at what you believe mm. and what counts mm-hmm. and what just doesn't. I think that's a big thing. It's the biggest thing is you work out what doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. I, I, oh, absolutely. And I, I think one of the, um, some of the more uh, releasing things that I encountered along the way is exactly those things mm. coming to realise that, ah, oh, you know what? There isn't just one way to read the Bible. Mm. There hasn't been for 2,000 years, you know, mm. one translation of the Bible and one particular way to mm. interpret all of that. Mm. There's so many, you know, that the, the tradition is so much broader than that. Oh, absolutely. And, this is, and, and that's not to say that, you know, I, I have come to a place now where I just don't feel uncomfortable if somebody decides mm. that, that Christian tradition isn't the space with mm. you know the way in which they want to explore their spirituality mm. or complete lack of spirituality. Oh, absolutely! Uh, but for me, I I kind of have the whole journey. I guess I've been going, but this is all I know. Mm. I mm. don't for the reasons we talked about earlier. I don't mm. feel like I want to abandon spiritual things mm. completely. I. I guess I think of but, myself but as we're a spiritual, spiritual beings, person, right? But all of us, yeah. we're spiritual beings. Yeah, well, and that mm. resonates for me. Mm. And, and uh, you know, the, although the metaphor I've kind of had is that for me, Christianity is the only language I have for spirituality. You know? yes, and I've yeah, literally yeah, yeah. spent the best part of 50 years learning to speak that language, yeah. yeah for yeah. <laughs> but that ho- the whole tradition of of Christianity as my language for spiritual mm. things, to start now to try and go, I'm going to go and learn, you know, mm. Buddhism as a language mm. for spiritual mm. things, or or some other, you know, mm. spiritual language, just seems way too daunting. And so mm. I was taught, I caught in this space of going, well, hang on, this tradition doesn't work for me anymore the way it's mm. been handed to me, mm. um, and yet. I don't want to throw it away completely. I, mm. I, you know, I want to try and find a way to make it work for me because mm. I still feel like spirituality is something I want to explore, mm. and that's the only language I have for that. You know, mm. that that is going to work. And so, yeah, it was discovering that. Oh, you don't have to read the Bible that way. Mm. Uh, you know, oh, I don't have to believe certain things. Actually, you know what? Hundreds of thousands and millions of Christians over the last two thousand years have not believed that anybody is going to hell forever. Uh, mm. And so I'm allowed. I, I I cannot believe that, and it doesn't exclude me from the Christian tradition that I have. That's right. Grown up yeah. with, you know, it's like just. It's amazing how the blinkers are so real. 
<laughs> waving the mic around. The oh. blinkers are so real, you know, and and yet you can be so unaware that they are there. It's true, but we are, you know, human beings are innately spiritual, mm. um, and across the world, how you know, civilizations everywhere have a belief in a greater being, all the way, and and I think we tap into that in some way, and I find that people who don't do this spiritual walk fill that gap with something. Yeah. You know, whatever that gap is. And it's not always a healthy choice, the replacement of that. But I think we, you know, I have a cousin who's quite um, atheist, you know, very, very much so. Mm. Um, and I often wonder, what do you fill that with? You know, because I, I, I just think we're innately spiritual beings, mm. you know. Um, yeah, and it's fascinating to watch people grow and change through all of that. You know, my mother did it all. You know, she was so many different – ended up a Quaker. That was fascinating. Mm. <laughs> the thought of my mother sitting in any room being quiet was fascinating to me. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, we all ebb and flow and, and what's going on in our lives determines so much of that. And especially as things have been put to you over, over the years and in, in church situations – they can be very damaging, some of the things that we've heard mm. over the years. And I'm, you know, I'm eternally grateful that I've missed you know, that kind of experience, but I'm keenly aware of how many of my friends have had you know, a, dif a difficult time with churches who have felt left out or left behind or unloved or whatever. And none of that is what Jesus meant. Mm. None of that. Mm. You know? So, yeah, we all have much to think on, I think, mm. just to be our best selves. Ah, it's been great. Well, it's been fantastic having you well, on thanks. the Awkward In Between podcast. If anyone wants to jump onto on our Facebook page, you've got any you know comments, questions, thoughts? I'd love mm. to hear you know just other people's experiences of their own spirituality, or even you know if you, if you are an atheist and you sit there mm. and you go, oh well, I've, I have filled up with whatever it is. Let, let mm. us know, or I don't feel yeah, that same sense of spirituality yeah. because mm -hmm. I think I'd like to hear what that's like too. You know, yeah. I'm kind of mm. curious to know. So jump on the Facebook page, Awkward In Between, and uh, get in touch with us there. Open to any kind of questions, discussions, thoughts. It's all just. Uh, it's all this one big wilderness that I'm yeah, happy yeah, to call yeah, home. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much, Leanne. It's My been pleasure. wonderful chatting. Excellent. Thanks for having me.